we had an amazing time at camp. Um, I love uh, I love going and in, in hanging out with my church family in something other than hanging out of this fun place. But we, we just had a blast. Um, I usually try to do pretty good at watching what I eat. And um, it, that didn't happen this week. And uh, uh, just hanging out with you guys and uh you know an amazing place um and just getting to know you even even better than i already do but we had uh we had really good teachings um pastor rich started in james right off the bat and we found ourselves uh talking about trials and temptations and uh being patient and being still and um, so I'm going to give you a little bit of takeaway from what I shared before and, and, uh, just kind of, uh, just share with you what the Lord's put on my heart since I've been back from camp. And, uh, so let's look at, uh, starting Psalm 121. Um, I really love this Psalm. It, uh, when we were at camp looking at what was in front of us, we saw beautiful mountains, we saw a beautiful reservoir, um, we saw just God's creation. And I, I saw this captured in uh, this psalm when I was there. And um, it kind of went along with what we were talking about and then what God was talking to me about. So Psalm 121 says, I lift my eyes to the hills where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forever. I, I really love here the fact that when I read this psalm right off the bat, we're talking about a big God, right? He's, he's an amazing God. And he's talking about here, he's, he's talking about, he's watching over us and, and really talking about our salvation. I mean, he's, he's got us. And we can rely on that because he's everything. He's created it all. And when we were able to look out there along the shoreline and at the mountains and at his creation, it just brings you closer and it makes it a lot more real when you're out there. Instead of in a rat race, at work, all that crazy stuff that we do every day. Um, I love verse 1 where it says, I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? I really love the fact that we learned at camp to be patient and still waiting on the Lord. And that's something that we so easily forget to do. And while we're waiting on the Lord, we go through issues. We go through trials. And we struggle with, with that. And um, in fact, we, as Rich brought out, we had a couple trials even at camp. We had 
a broken bone. And we had a smashed lip that required stitches. So two trips to the hospital and at church camp. And another thing that was amazing was that um, thinking about getting injured at church camp, and I brought this up before, how could God allow somebody to get hurt at a church camp? Is there really a God to allow his people to be hurt at church camp? And the answer is yes, absolutely. We're going to get hurt. Just like Rich said, it's risky. But it's promised also that we're going to have trials and tribulations and troubles while we're here, while we're following him, while we're living, while we're interacting with each other. Flip over to Psalm 9. And let's look at verse 9 and 10. The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. Those who know your name will trust in you, for you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. I love that. The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. When we were reading the Proverbs a little bit ago, something really stood out me and stood out at me and slapped me in the face. And it was Proverbs 25:19. And it says, "Like a broken tooth or a lame foot is reliance on the unfaithful in times of trouble." It's like going to a dentist with a broken car. Obviously, he's not going to help you out. And when I think about this, who do I go to in times of trouble when I'm frustrated or disappointed and don't know where to turn and have no hope? Um, the Lord is our refuge. Like a broken tooth or a lame foot is reliance on the unfaithful in times of trouble. That really spoke out to me. Um, I like... Uh, Andrew spoke, Andrew spoke, Spencer spoke, Rivers spoke, Pastor Rich, and everybody had some really awesome, awesome messages. I'm going to highlight a couple things that I wrote down from Andrew's uh, message, and he spoke on Deuteronomy 8. He pointed out that God is with you through the, through the trial. The Christian life is being perfected by the love of Jesus Christ, not to be perfect. We are being refined in our trials. God allows us to suffer, refining our heart. God is with us in the trials and the great times. He is with us always. Isaiah 55, 6, he talked about there, the highlight there was sometimes we don't know what God is doing. He is a great faithful God let him do his work trust God in the midst of our trials that's so important because again thinking about the theme of of uh, being patient and being still a lot of times we are we are so tired of the things we're going through that we're 
we don't have we don't have time to wait on the Lord, and we kind of take things into our own hands. Um, I like the fact that uh, in verse ten, those who know your name. This is a Psalm back to Psalm nine, verse uh, ten. Those who know your name will trust in you, for you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. I like I like the trust. And it really all boils down to trusting God. Faith and trust go hand in hand. So to trust God, you have to have faith in God. And so it's really kind of about faith. It's, it's interesting that we know how to trust, don't we? We're pretty good at trusting. Um, we, uh, in fact, I was this morning, I was sitting in our office chair, and I was hanging out, and then I kind of leaned back. And I thought for a second, Ooh, I just trusted that this this chair is going to hold me up, and and we all do that. We do the trust fall and everything. Um, but then at camp, thinking about the eating, um, you know, everybody brought something to the table. So we had the potluck thing. So we had a big table with food, and as you're going along, you have a plate, and of course, at potlucks, you have to get a little bit of everything on the plate, right? So I got your plate going and you're looking at stuff and you're thinking that's that looks good this is okay and but this desire to get everything on your plate is is above all things. So some of the stuff you're like oh oh ugh. I got to try it anyway. That's me anyway. I don't know about you guys. So I'm piling my plate with all these different things. I don't know who cooked them. I don't know if they washed their hands or blew their nose or littered with covid whatever and so we go sit down with a big smile we're eating the food that we just took from the table we have no idea where it came from but yet we we trust that we're going to be okay right we trust that uh we're going to be okay being drugged 30 miles an hour on a rope behind a boat in fact our boat almost flipped right ida maybe not almost but felt like it so we were dragging Robbie on the big couch, and uh, we went on a huge jump, and him and I forget who else was on there, flew up in the air. It looked like 15 feet. It was probably three feet. But anyway, he went back down and underwater, and it kind of blew the plug out, and, and the, the couch kind of deflated. And, of course, I'm like, as fast as I can, driving the boat, and all of a sudden the boat goes, and, and Ida goes, and uh, I'm like, oh my gosh, this boat's gonna flip. So I pulled it back, and I look back there, and everybody's off the thing. The the couch is under the water, and I'm like, oh my gosh, we almost died. <laughs> and uh, I was, I I couldn't believe how fast all that happened. So I put my trust in the boat floating, and that everything would be okay. Um, it's easy to trust things that we can see, isn't it? We could see that. Sitting in the chair, the chair is built, it's got four legs, and uh, I can trust it. I just automatically go sit down. I automatically eat your food, Dale. Your hot dogs that you cook every week, I just automatically eat them. Do you wash your hands? I don't know. I, I don't, I'm not going to ask you if you did or not, but I just trust that. And why do I trust these things so quickly and so easily? What if it was our second nature to trust God as quickly as we trust these other things in our life? Um, 
Do you think your relationship would be, would be strengthened uh, if you were able to do that? We always find that um, we use our abilities to take care of the issues of life, right? So like for me, I like fixing stuff. So if something's broken, I go get my tools and I start working on it. And then after hours of pouring into it, I can't fix the dumb thing. They're like, oh, Lord, please help me. Instead of saying, on the way with my tools, Lord, please help me. It should be the number one thing. Trust in the Lord. Those who know your name will trust in you. It's almost like, where is God when we have anything going on in our life? Well, he's right there ready for you to call out. But we wait until our strength is dead, diminish, diminishes. The cool thing is that God is good and he wants the very best for us. And so if we kind of can always be reminded that we're kind of a dumb people. I find myself pretty dumb most of the time. I always need to be encouraged along the way. Even though I've been saved for a lot of years, I still need this constant encouragement. And I'm still dealing with trials and tribulations and problems. And so I need the encouragement from, from my church family, from his word, from everything. I have down here when we're discouraged, disappointed, feeling defeated, hopeless, we choose to trust God. It's a choice that we have to make because we know the truth. The truth is all throughout here. We have issues. We have, we have cancer. We have problems with drugs. We have addictions. We have relationship issues. We are down, we're disappointed, we're depressed, we're, we're, we go through a tough time. We're, we're in a tough situation just being alive on this earth. And the first thing we need to do is to come to him and trust in him and to rely on him. He is our refuge. These are truths from God's word, and it's a reminder as we read it. Come on. The God who is for us is the healer of the brokenhearted. Healer of the brokenhearted. How do we get to this place of trusting God? If it's not your second nature, just to automatically trust him and go to him. How do we get to that place of really just trusting him? And I love coming to church camp and hanging out with you guys because it's a time for me to know more about you. And, and this is how we do it. We get to know our Lord. We, we spend time with him. I learned a lot of of things of people that I didn't know from going to camp. I was able to have great communication with different people, um, find out more about their lives. The more you know somebody, the more you trust that person. And we just need to pay attention on spending time with them. Um, Spencer had some pretty cool notes as well. good song <laughs> Spencer spoke uh, out of Psalms 119 25 and it is cool when you read Genesis how we are formed from dust from the dirt right that was that was pretty cool and so he brought up in Psalm 119 25 my soul clings to the dust and I have down here, we are easily enticed by the world. 
Revive me according to your word. We come from dust as human beings. And when I think about that, I, when I'm not, when I'm really living for the world and not really paying attention to the Lord sometimes, I get busy. You know the Charlie Brown and Linus, or I think it's Linus, the dude with the blanket, and he's walking along, there's dust flying all over him. I feel like if you're, you think about like being sprayed with oil and then maybe walking amongst a bunch of cattle that are kicking up dust and the dust kind of clings to you. So I like dusty man, not worrying about the Lord, but the dust is clinging to me. That's the picture I get, Spence, from your message, Mr. Dust. And then he said, he brought up a passage in Ephesians where it says we are washed by the word. We need to be revived, reset, get our focus back on him. Prioritize your time in the word, being washed and fed every day. It's a picture of washing off the dust, washing off the world that's clinging to us like a dirty mess. I really, I really appreciated that teaching. Um, I really love that. And then uh, I want to close in uh, Hebrews 6. It's a very common passage that we all know, but again, we need to be reminded um, Hebrews 11 verse 6 says and without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him and I really love that that the words uh, earnestly seek him and um, it, it's almost like we need this reminder every morning. Seek him. Seek him. Seek him this morning. When you're seeking, and, and the, the thing that I have in my mind is when, I, when, when you're looking for something, when you're seeking, you're searching, um, in, this, in this format or picture, it would be a treasure, uh, like a, a treasure that you're looking for that you can't do without. And talking about again being patient going through trials and tribulations of this of this world and relying on him and, and resting in his hands for refuge as we deal with life situations it all boils down to trusting him and having faith in him and seeking him daily wash being washed by the word washing the garbage off but this is a treasure Humble yourself and seek the Lord as if it was something that was very valuable that you're lost. And it's almost like you can't live without it. So you, for me, it's a picture of, okay, I get up at 6 o'clock every morning to go to work. Well, now I'm going to get up at 5.30 because I'm going to seek the Lord. He's promised me a refuge. He's promised me hope in this world that I'm about ready to walk into. And so I can be encouraged and strengthened in his word by getting to know him more, getting to know his character, his personality, getting to know his plan for me, getting to know more about his love. The more I know about him, the more I will trust him. And 
everything will just be the way it should be. Lord, thank you for this camp experience. Thank you for inspiring those to teach your word and to be faithful and so that all of us can uh, can look at the example that is being led by others, the ones that you inspire. Lord, most importantly, thank you for your promises that we can rely on. Uh, as we study you, as we try to understand you, we don't have all the answers. And we'll find out all the answers when we're with you finally in heaven. But while we're here now, Lord, help us to inspire each other and uh, help us to be excited about your word and um, digging into it, getting to know you. And uh, we thank you for that. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you. I take this out and walk around what are my parameters between there and here not sure okay because I'm gonna be walking around what's that 10 feet okay that's wonderful that, that's wonderful hearing there okay great um, praise the Lord um, God bless you this morning it's great to be here with you Rob I thought you were kidding about the 40 minutes but um, anyway, no, it's a, kidding. That's good. No, I'm glad. I'm glad. It's good. And also, too, like Rob, actually, unlike Rob, I don't watch what I eat. And I made that very clear at camp, so we won't get into all that. But I'm glad that there's people that do. Um, so it's uh, wonderful to be before you today. Um, Pastor Rich asked that, you know, we kind of review and sort of nutshell version kind of what we spoke at. Uh, at camp, and uh, happy to do that. Um, for those of you who were unable to make it to camp, um, thank you for holding down the fort here in Brookings. Appreciate that. Your reward is great. Uh, we missed you, but hope, hopefully we'll see you there next year. It's a great time, like Rob said. So much fun, um, so much good food, um, and just the fellowship, and just like Rob was saying, I, I agree, it's, it's times where we can kind of pull away and just kind of really get to talk to people. It's one thing to fellowship here, and we do that, and that's great, but up there you have just a whole day, if you want, to just get to know someone's story and what they've been through. And for me, I love talking to people that, you know, have just been, you know, married longer than I have and just have been living life a lot longer in the Christian walk and just kind of seeing like what they've been through in the stories. And it's phenomenal. God is good. God is good. God has brought us through uh, a lot of um, trials and uh, issues and persecutions that we've suffered. And you see that God's been faithful to them and brought them through. And they look back at the other side and go, see God's faithfulness. And that's cool because sometimes you're right in the middle of a trial and you're like, oh, I need to hear that, right? I need to hear that encouragement. And I need to hear and see that, yes, God was faithful. He did bring you through. And I need to see and hear that as well. And we all do. And so that's uh, very uh, heartwarming and encouraging. 
So uh, what I spoke about um, was something that I actually taught on, um, you know, about four or five years ago at a youth camp that I spoke at. And uh, it was encouraging to me because the applications for then uh, still apply to us even today, now. And that is what I spoke to them about was um, one of the most incredible, in fact, the most incredible uh, migrations in the animal and insect kingdom. And that is the monarch butterfly. The monarch butterfly, how it originates its migration in central Mexico in a mountain range. And what these monarchs do is when the weather really starts to get hot and warm, they begin to migrate north. Right, they go sort of north for uh, the summer to kind of keep the weather, searching for cooler weather. But there's interesting dynamics in the monarch butterfly. Because as the monarch butterfly begins in central Mexico in a mountain range, it determines and it knows when it's time to go. There's millions, literally millions of these monarch butterflies that begin to one day, we don't know how, well we do, the Lord, but scientists are still trying to figure out how in the world do these butterflies know exactly when to begin their migration north? But is it the, you know, what, what is it about it? But God instills in them, and one day, boom, in obedience, they do what they're supposed to do instinctively, they begin to migrate north. So there's interesting things here because the monarch begins its, uh, its trip north. From central Mexico, it flies and it flies and it flies and it flies and it makes it to about the border, the southern border of Texas. And so that's quite a distance from where it first started in central Mexico. It flies and it, it finally makes it as far as it can to the southern border of Texas-ish, somewhere in there. And with tired and, and tattered wings, they begin to, uh, to land and they roost in what we talked about, the, the milkweed which is genius too, because the milkweed is a weed that most predators and animals will uh, avoid due to uh, the nectar inside of it being toxic to them. So the butterfly knows that, the monarch. And the monarch lays its eggs and then, sadly, dies off. But the, the egg, begin, you, you guys know how this works, they're caterpillars and they, they thrive on the milkweed and then finally they become butterflies and then guess what? The migration continues. It's almost as though the butterfly is handing off the torch or it's handing off the baton for the next run. So this next generation, if you will, of monarch butterfly flies north and continues the migration. And that generation will make it somewhere in the neighborhood of like Oklahoma. It'll fly across Texas, Oklahoma and, and those mid Midwestern states till the same thing happens to them. Tired and tattered wings, they've made a long journey, but finally they know, okay, it's time. They land, they roost, they lay their eggs, and the cycle starts all over again. This continues until the monarch butterfly makes it all the way up to Canada. These migrations, these generations, if you will, but the cool thing about it is that these generations, as these generations begin to fly and, and reproduce, and then the next generation takes over, takes the baton, carries on this migration, these generations are getting stronger and stronger and stronger until finally 
after four or five generations of the monarch butterfly finally making its final descent into uh, northern, northern America, Canada, the northern states, when it's finally there, guess what? Same thing occurs, tired, tattered wings. The butterfly lands, roosts, lays its eggs. But there's something interesting. Because this final generation that is hatched is what scientists call the super generation. The super generation of the monarch butterfly. Now, why, does it, why is it called the super generation? A couple of reasons. First of all, as these generations have flown and they've, they've done their thing and they've done what the Lord has designed them to do and they've gotten stronger and stronger throughout the generations, finally, the super generation is born and it's born bigger, larger by about a third. Wing size is, is much larger than its uh, predecessors. It's more robust and it's stronger. And you know what's really cool about this? Is that the monarch has to get back to central Mexico when it's time. How on earth, and scientists are baffled, we're not because we know who's in charge, how on earth does an insect, a butterfly, with the brain the size of a sesame seed know that eventually there's gonna come a day and a time where it's, oh, time to go, and we have to fly back to Mexico, a place we've never been, because remember, this is five generations later. And guess what? The super generation will do it in one generation. It will fly all the way from Canada, all the way back 4,800 miles back to central Mexico in one generation. The super generation will. That's fascinating. What took four or five generations to get north, now the super generation will make it back in one to a place they've never been. How do they know to get back? How do they know when to leave? Scientists are saying, well, due to the angle of the sunlight and the shortening of days, they know, and th these are facts, these are true, they know, oop, time to go. But how do they know where to go? They know to go south, they know to go back to the origination. They look back and they go, okay, time to go. And here's the cool thing too, is that their antenna or antennae, is that plural for antennas? Sorry, any English majors out there? Rich, you're uh, a linguist. Correct me later. But their antennae, instead of just like most insects, just use it for sniffing and feeling, they can also tell time. God has designed the monarch butterfly to be able to tell time in relation to where the sun is, and that's how they get their heading, and they know right where to fly. And they will end up back in the exact same place that this whole process started, Central Mexico in a mountain range, and it all starts again. Now, what's really cool is that as, I, uh, as these generations have gone through, the super generation cannot produce one hormone, and the hormone that they cannot produce yet is called, scientists call it the juvenile hormone. It's the hormone that doesn't cause them to age. It'd be like you and I living to be about 400 years old. That's what happens with the super generation. They don't age, which enables them to live longer to make the flight back to Mexico. Now, once they're in Mexico, after they're there for a while and they get acclimated, guess what? That hormone begins to be produced. And all of a sudden, the aging process begins for them, and they know time to reproduce, lay their eggs, and then sadly, the super generation passes away. 
what on earth does this have to do with us? Other than the fact that it's amazing, other than the fact that it just reminds us how amazing and detailed our creator is, what does it have to do with us? I thought about the generations thing, this generations. You know, we have generations represented in this room right here. And just like I did at camp, I'll ask here, raise your hand if we have any great-grandparents. Any great-grandparents in the, in the room? Great-grandparents. We have a couple right here. Great-grandparents. How about grandparents? A lot more hands, okay? Grandparents. And, of course, we know there's parents in the room. And we also know that there's young adults, there's kids, there's children, all the way down to very, very young. Several generations here are represented. And as the great-grandparents and the grandparents and the parents, us, myself included in the parents and then the younger kids, we have a tendency sometimes, if we're honest with ourselves, to, I don't know, worry about our kids. Have you ever worried about your kids? We'd be telling big whoppers if we, if we said no, right? We do. We have that tendency. And I get it. I'm, I'm there. You have concern. And it's one thing to be concerned. We're parents, right? God's given us um, you know, the privilege and honor of being parents and, and raising up a generation for him. And so we, we have concern, of course. But when you find yourself backed into a corner where you are so stressed and worried and, and overwhelmed about your kids and what they're going through, Oh, are they going to stray? Are they going to stay following the Lord? Are they going to keep coming to church? Are they going to remember what we've taught them? And, and you get so concerned and worried. That's where we would say, you don't have to. You don't have to worry. And you say, well, that's easy for you to say. And that is easier said than done, right? Because we still do. It's in us. We just feel, we take this serious, this parenting thing. But the encouragement for me, and it's been a reoccurring theme with myself, it's been a reoccurring theme with my wife, and maybe for many of you as well, the Lord's been showing me, fall back on my promises. Fall back on my promises. What have I promised? Well, there's over 700 promises, perhaps, in the Bible. I could be off by a few dozen. But he's, there's hundreds and hundreds of promises in the Bible, and what we spoke of at camp was, number one, as parents, as it relates to us right now, Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. That is a promise. And it's not happening, perhaps, right now before our very eyes. We're not seeing that lived out, but we know that's a promise. God does not fall back on his promises. The monarch butterfly as it's flying in its destination at whatever state or generation we're talking about does not fly in with tired tattered wings going oh no what is going to happen to this future generation is this future generation going to make it I'm, I'm so concerned and worried i'm stressed out i'm overwhelmed no the butterfly does what it's been called to do and designed by the lord to follow through and and it just does what it's supposed to do and the next generation carries on, each being stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger until finally that super generation is there before us. And it starts all over again. You and I have the privileges, parents, grandparents, great-grandparents. We've been given the opportunity to do the exact same thing. 
building up our next generation stronger, more robust, teaching them the Word of God, taking them to Sunday school, bringing them to church, giving them life lessons. Hey, this is a teachable moment. Here's what the Bible says. Encouraging them, building them up stronger and stronger until finally, guess what? We've trained up our children in the way they should go. That's a promise. A couple other promises I'll take you to. One that speaks to me. Well, they all do. Let's see if I can get there. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. He started a work in you. When was that? Perhaps you're the first generation, first generation Christian. Oh my goodness, what am I doing? And your kids perhaps were already born and perhaps you were a generation where your kids are adults when you became a Christian. Or perhaps you're like me who I was literally born and I've laughed because my kids same way, me too. Our first you know, trip away from the house after being born was to church nursery. Born and raised in church. And my mom made sure that she followed through with me and raised me in the way that I should go, teaching me those things of the Lord, the promises. Perhaps that's you. Wherever you fall in this whole generation uh, clock, perhaps, it's an encouraging thing to think about our duty, training up that next generation. But God, God began a good work in you. He began a good work in you, and he's going to begin. He began a good work in our kids. Now, I'll take you to another scripture. This one, Paul would write to Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 1, this is what Paul says. For this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded, watch this, that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. He says, listen, I'm persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. What have you committed to the Lord? You committed your life to the Lord by realizing that you're a sinner, that you needed salvation, that you couldn't do it on your own. You gave your life and your heart to the Lord. You committed that to him. And then later on, as we had kids, we commit our kids. We have committed our children to the Lord. Guess what? That word that says that he is able to keep what you have committed to him, it's more like this in the original language. He is committed to keep what you have committed to him. He's committed. You made a commitment, and guess what? He's committed to uphold that commitment, his end of the bargain. We just needed to take the first step in faith. How cool is that? God is able, and he is committed to keep what you have committed. Have you committed your kids to the Lord? Have we? Yes, we have. That's a promise. That's soothing. And even though I wonder sometimes what's going on, and you may as well with your kids, and we, we worry and concern, we can fall back and go, have I trained him up in the way that he should go? Yes. Have I committed my kids to the Lord? 
yes, and he is able and he is committed to uphold that commitment, a promise. It's soothing, it comforts me, it lets me know, okay, Lord, you have it under control. Even though when I can't see and I don't, it doesn't seem like it's in control to me, I can still fall back and realize a no, yes, Lord, you have it under control. It's very interesting to me that the teachings that we put, that, that the Lord puts on our hearts to speak at a place like family camp, it's funny how the fabric of those interweave. Isn't that something? Isn't that a neat thing that the Lord does? I think that's fascinating. Go back with me, a couple scriptures, a couple books. Two more scriptures and I'll close. Go back to Psalm. Psalm chapter 102. Now we were kind of in these chapters at camp. Pastor Rich took us uh, through 101. We touched briefly 102 and then we got into 103 at camp. Um, awesome words that pastor gave us. But as I was reading through 102, just briefly, this jumped out at me. It jumped out at me because it's actually highlighted. I actually highlighted this uh, August 26 of 2012. It strikes me. Psalm 102, verse 18. This will be written for the generation to come that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord. I love that. A generation. We're talking about generations here. But yet, guess what? God's word says a generation that's not even created yet is going to praise the Lord. A generation that's not even here yet. And that is cool. Why is it cool? You know why it's cool to me? is because we get to take part in all that. In the generation that we're in, and the generation that is after us, our kids, and the ones after that, we are building up our kids to make them stronger, more robust, spiritually, for the Lord, doing what the Lord has instilled in our hearts that we know to be true, to be good and correct. Building up these generations till finally, someday, a generation, should the Lord tarry his coming, that we may not ever even see. Generations that aren't even existence yet, guess what? They're going to praise the Lord. Why? because of the faithfulness that you have done for your kids and the ones that they will do for their kids. Grandparents, you're doing the same thing for your grandkids. You're still speaking truth into the life. Great-grandparents, same thing for you. This is a generational thing. This is beautiful. It's a wonderful thing. Finally, we spoke about, and I'll close with this, we spoke about, man, times work, man, it just doesn't feel like the Lord is speaking to me. You ever been there? You're doing everything. You're praying, you're seeking, you're, you're, you're doing your devotions, you're in God's word, and, and it's just like hitting the forehead. Are the prayers hitting the ceiling? Lord, you don't feel like the Lord's speaking to you, and then all of a sudden, boom, you hear a Bible teaching on the radio, and that speaks to you. Has that happened? You almost go off the road because you're like, how did the Lord? You can, I couldn't have planned that. And then, you know, you know, like my wife, she, was, she woke up one middle of the night. She woke up to a song the Lord gave to her in her heart. And she woke up to that song. Well, that's the same message that I got in my Bible teaching on the way to work. That cannot be planned. See, to God, there are no consequences. Or, sorry, consequences. There are no, what's the word I'm looking for? Coincidence, thank you. 
There's no coincidences. God plans this all out. And then finally, you know, these things. She wakes up with a song in the middle of the night in her heart. I'm going to work and I listen to something on the radio and on my radio and a message and, I, and God speaks to me through that right to my heart. And then we talk to each other and we encourage each other. And then finally, we're at camp, at camp at the lake. And my wife and I, we're, we're back. It's in the middle of the day. We're just kind of kicking back around the fire. And um, our speakers automatically, while we're talking, pop on and it plays a song. And I remember looking at her going, how'd you do that? That's not Bluetooth. I thought she hit her phone and, and it started, um, she's like, do what? I didn't do that. I'm like, what are you talking about? How did the radio come on? The radio just, how did, yeah, but she's like, do you hear what's playing? And we made a joke because I was more concerned about mechanically, how in the world did the radio come on at this time? The battery, the fuses, I mean, I don't understand. And she's like, no, 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 stop. Do you hear the song? We have the CD. Um, uh, Seth, I don't know his last name, Seth, John Corson's son-in-law, uh, he, was it? Gilbert. Yeah, so he, he made the Psalm Project years ago, and it's a tradition for us to take that CD with us when we go camping, and we've, we always have it with us, it's playing in the trailer, and we just love it, we love it, it's just encouraging. And here's what it said, the song that came on was Psalm 46, verse 16, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. But the first part of that verse, be still and know that I am God. That is the reoccurring theme that God is speaking into my wife's life and my life as well. He's telling us, be still. I know you've, you're tired. <laughs> and I know you're tired. Your, your wings are tattered right now. And you've been, you've been going through this, this strenuous time in your life, I know. And I know you want to fix it, because I do. I want it just fixed. And I, I want to just go and, and, and fix it myself. And sometimes I get discouraged, and sometimes she does, and we do together, and we're just like, we cry out, Lord, we're hurting. And he's telling us, be still. Be still. Well, what do I do? You be still. Yeah, but that's not enough. Yes, it is. <laughs> Be still. How do I do that? By being still. <sighs> okay. So, Lord, what do I do? I be still, and guess what? I fall back on his what? His promises. Yeah. You've done that. You've instilled in your next generation what you were supposed to do. Now be still, and let me take care of it. And don't paint yourself into a corner and be stressed out where you're trying to climb out of this chasm of, of stress and anguish. Why get yourself there? You don't have to because I'm God and I've got this. I'm going to take care of them just like I took care of you, just like I took care of the folks that you had awesome conversations with. And look what I brought them through. I thought I had problems. <laughs> wow, you guys. There's some people out there who have really been through some stuff. And God was faithful and brought them through that. And that encourages me. Be still. Know that I'm God. I got it. Amen.